friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and there tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Okay, Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Hello, friends, and welcome inside the Sportsnet studios in downtown Toronto for this Monday, June 14th edition of Tim and Friends. Jesse Rubinoff representing the friends on Twitter and Instagram. As always, at Tim and Friends is the handle, which is exactly what the doctor said to my mom after I was born the youngest of four boys. <laughs> Another handle, Mrs. McAuliffe. But I digress. And what a handle it is. I mean, at Tim and Friends, keep killing the impressions, the engagement because of you. We are doing fantastic numbers, and let me tell you, we appreciate it. A ton. All right, as if there weren't enough already going on right now. Game one, Habs, final four matchup with the Golden Knights goes tonight. The Jays, man, how about those Blue Jays? Talk about a response to a heartbreak on Friday. They have absolutely smashed the ball since then. And try and close out the Red Sox by winning three straight in Boston tonight. Euro 2020 continued with three games today. Two more games in the NBA after Chris Paul and the Suns swept the Nuggets. And the Bucks, the Bucks, they're alive. 2-2. Kyrie Irving gets hurt, and as if that weren't enough, CFL announced today they would return to play on August 5th. And thank God, because you have to wonder if this could be the last season of the CFL's story existence. Ponder that for a moment. I don't think it's been talked about near enough, and that's where we're at. They almost went dark. It's crazy. Uh, it's been a wonderful couple of days right here on Tim and Friends, and we will examine all of those stories moving forward right here on Tim and Friends. But we start game one of the Canadian and the Golden Knights. Uh, these two going toe-to-toe, blow for blow. And, of course, the Habs will be the first Canadian NHL team to cross the border and play a road game in the United States of America since the Senators visited the Kings in what would be the final game of the 2019-2020 regular season, March 11, 2020. Jesse, that's 460 days since a Canadian team crossed the border to play in the United States of America. It's crazy, That no? is a lot of days. It'll be fun to see them finally playing in an American rink. Finally. Yeah, it's been a lot of days. It's unbelievable. And once again, almost every pundit on planet Earth, uh, as well as the books in Vegas, have Vegas as the overwhelming favorites. And once again, the Habs could care less. Been there, done that for we the North. O-U-I, the North. I stole that from Brendan Gallagher. Counted out against the Leafs, dogs against the Jets. Man, DJ Khaled needs to adopt them because all they do is win. Seven in a row to be exact. That's how many games they have won in a row. Montreal between four and five and a half point favorites, excuse me, dogs in this series uh, to win the series. Yes, Vegas 
better on paper. But as I have quoted over the last little while, for a number of years, uh, we all know that games aren't played on paper. They are, of course, played by little men in our television sets. In fact, of the 12 Stanley Cup series that are already underway, the lower seed has won nine of the 12 matchups, including the last four rounds. I'm not sure if you saw it, but Lou's boys on the island walked into Tampa and took game one. Jesse, could this be the year of the underdog? No doubt. No doubt. You're looking at Montreal in the NHL, Phoenix Suns action in the NBA. Yeah. It's happening. Um, It would be one of a ton of storylines in this matchup. When you really think about all the Mm storylines that you could see in this, I mean... The Habs facing their former captain, Max Pacioretty. Nick Suzuki looking pretty good. I mean, you could maybe say that they won the deal. Carey Price versus Marc-Andre Fleury. Check the greatest expansion team in history, <laughs> trying to get over the hump. The greatest team in league history, trying to get win number 25 and bring a cup home to Canada for the first time in a generation. All of these things, talking points in what could be a magnificent series. And... If you could look past the allegiance of your team and cheer for the Canadian squad, even if they're your hated rivals, I've said it for years. Like, I think that you should cheer for a fan base more than cheering for a team. Like, the fan bases in Canada have done a lot of waiting. A lot of waiting. While other fan bases, Carolina, Tampa, it's not the same. If you could ever look past your allegiance and just cheer for the Canadian team, it would be glorious here in Canada. But judging by your reaction <laughs> to the Tim and Friends social media question of the day, you do not agree with me. Jesse? I had to you- sort to get some yeses. It was like 98.5%. Absolutely, we will not be cheering for the Montreal Canadiens. Did you... Uh, there was a point where I thought bleep no would be trending in Canada. <laughs> I didn't grab any bleep. Well, actually, funny you should say that. We'll get to that in a second. But do you want to rifle through some replies here? Sure. So the question's simple. Are you cheering for the Canadians to win the Stanley Cup for all of Canada? Reality is one team left in Canada. Doubled says all teams are a collection of international players. So what I would actually be cheering for is... The fans in Montreal and that they get to enjoy a cup, which I will not be cheering for. Right. <laughs> that answers your question, Divi. Uh, Angie says, I cussed and cursed when the Leafs lost again, but never, ever will I be able to support the Habs. I bleed blue and white. Hashtag forever my team. Hashtag Leafs. Anton, is Man United rooting for Man City in the Champions League? Stop it with this uh, that's, foolishness. That's apples to oranges. Is it? Yeah, because... To win the Champions League. Oh, I see. I was going to say to win the country's title, yeah, right? Like yeah. if you win in England, every, there's a team from England that wins every year in England. For the Champions Cup, probably not. But there is a little bit of uh, national pride 100%. when it's an all-England Champions League final. Is it not? 100%. I mean, you're happy either way. Either way it I, goes. I don't know if you're happy. Listen, I'm not trying to tell you to cheer against... The Habs or cheer for the Habs. I'm not trying to tell you any of that. All I'm saying is that Canada's waited a hell of a long time to win a cup, 1993 to be exact. And maybe, maybe there's a glimmer of hope in the back of your mind that maybe Montreal deserves it more than Vegas. The fans of Montreal deserve it more than 
Vegas or deserve. And it's not even just Montreal. Like, Montreal has fans across the country, right? Absolutely. I think there's also a lot of Carey Price fans out there. I mean, he's been to the conference finals a couple times now. Once he was it was a backup. Right. Uh, so this is the third time that he'll be there. And this is one of the great goalies of our generation. I mean, I, I was a goalie, and I, I admired the way that Carey Price played goalie for a long time, just the way he was, could move around the net. And for me, because I like Carey Price, I don't, I'll be okay if the Habs move on. Oh, wait, no, but you're, but you're supposed to be unbiased. Well, yeah, I, from I a business perspective, too. I think, what we, <laughs> I think what we've learned from all of this is your rival is your rival and you don't give a bleep. And I, I respect it and understand it. All I thought that people might do was say, eh, you know what, I'd rather see a team in Canada win this mm -hmm. than a team in the United States. But nobody's going to do that. And isn't it enough, too, that Vegas is back in the conference final or semifinal again? Like, it's enough already. They, 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 <laughs> yeah. they just created the <laughs> just team. Got the team. They just created the team. Yeah. Like, the fans don't know any different now. It's like, oh, every time we play, we're going to win now. So right. might as well hop on board. Uh, as a neutral, if you can find it in your soul or without a doubt as a Habs fan, pretty easy to cheer for Carey Price and Shea Weber. As my friend Jesse said, never really been in this spot and they ain't no spring chickens anymore. I mean, never mind when, neither future Hall of Famer has ever been to the finals. For as cool, calm, and collected as both are, this is the first time in Weber's 16-year career that he's been to the Final Four. And while Carey Price has... It was as a backup in 2010 as Michael Layton beat Yarrow Halak. And then in 2014, he got hurt in a collision with Chris Kreider. Suffice to say, the 36-year-old Weber, the 33-year-old Price are absolutely jacked to have the opportunity to face the Knights with their first-ever cup final hanging in the balance. Right, fellas? I'm just curious to have to have your feeling regarding playing a first final four at your age. It's great. Excited for it. Really excited. That's exciting. Um, this time of this time of year is, is just the most fun time to play. It's uh, it's the most challenging. It's the most difficult mentally. It's uh, it's what makes it makes makes it so exciting. We're really. <laughs> Really excited. Didn't expect anything different, though. No. We, we saw the Carey Price interview after the Leafs series. Like, Kyle Bukowski? Yeah. yeah. That's the way Carey Price Leafs is. Yeah. Seven, three straight. <laughs> no, it was a good, good win. It's, uh, That's a good impression. As a, as a team, we were, we were really good down the stretch. Basically, exactly what you just saw. <laughs> same thing. It's the exact same thing. Okay, so uh, maybe too cool for school. Maybe these guys have a resting heart rate of just over not dead. Like <laughs> That's where they're at. And I kind of respect it, to be honest with you. Game one's tonight on the network. We've got the cavalry down in Vegas ready to get you set for this one. Sean McKenzie, Renaud Lavoie, Cassie Campbell also standing by. And Colby Armstrong talked to Max Pacioretty. We will bring you that conversation uh, now that the arm, dog has the arm dog has been released from Kess's house. Which, by the way, if the watch party's your thing, Kess's House is doing another watch party on Sportsnet's YouTube channel tonight. And if you just want to watch the game and don't have cable, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you might be able to see it there. Either way, like and subscribe at Sportsnet on YouTube and check out Kess's House. Jesse, is it just me or the Phoenix Suns, the Montreal Canadiens of the NBA playoffs? And I know you just brought it up a little earlier, but... Got me thinking a wee bit. Like, young team led by a veteran. Like, is CP3 
their CP31? Like, yeah. is that where we're at now? You can even add Shea Weber. It's like Shea Weber and Carey Price are the veterans for the Montreal Canadiens. And then you have CP3, who, man, it would be amazing. Amazing to see CP3 finally break through. I was just doing the CPs. Oh, just, yeah, right. Yeah, match it, it up to see Carey Price and Chris oh, Paul. Oh, yeah. Playoff I, Price, Just playoff way ball. over my head on Monday. <laughs> all right. We're all struggling at the gate. It's no problem. Jesse threw out his back. I had scalding hot coffee poured on my hand. No problem. We're good. Suns are through to the conference finals after sweeping the Jamal Murray-less Denver Nuggets like Price, Chris Paul, who Mike Malone said is arguably the best point guard ever, has never made the finals. He got hurt in his only trip to the Western Conference Finals. He's there, and he'll wait for the winner of the Jazz and Clippers series. Kawhi and company uh, look to even that series up tonight at Staples while the Sixers and Hawks play Game 4 in Atlanta. A couple weeks ago, I said the Jays might be the best team in the AL East when all is said and done. They went on to lose six straight. Last week, I said, in spite of all my good judgment and maybe my favorite NBA stat of all time on needing great defense to win, the Nets just might be too damn good for the rest of the NBA. Well, since I said that, they have lost two straight to the Bucs. They've been held under 100 in each, and they were only held under 104 times in the 72-game regular season. Four times in a 72-game regular season, but they've been held under 100 twice in the last two games. And to add insult to the injury, or injury to the insult, as it were, Kyrie left game four yesterday with a sprained ankle. (sighs) Man. Who who needs to rewrite the narrative that I can't win more? The Bucs and Giannis, James Harden, or Chris Paul? Great question. I would say when it comes to James Harden, first of all, he's not playing. And when they're all together, if they can ever get together, they're favored to win. They are favored if they're all healthy. Chris Paul. Oh, but, yeah, but that's a huge if. Like, I like, I like where your head's at. But that's a, like Harden hasn't played. Kyrie just rolled his ankle. And that's what I'm saying. So people aren't even thinking about James Harden when it comes to this question. So they're going to let him off the hook. Let, for now. For right. now. you got to see how it plays out. But Chris Paul. He's, they call him the point god. Like, he's got this respect mm-hmm. regardless of his playoff issues in the past. He has respect from the players around the league and the fans as well. I think the answer is Giannis because there are going to be some tough questions asked in Milwaukee. If they can't get past a team that is now down James Harden and down Kyrie Irving, he will not play in game five Kyrie. Yeah. So if Giannis and the Bucks, a team that was put together with now with Drew Holiday, a team that was supposed to make it past this next level. You can't get past this banged-up Brooklyn Nets team now. Bud, I think, is going to be in some trouble, and there's going to be some tough questions in Milwaukee. All right, so Jesse says Milwaukee. I think that the fact that they've climbed back into this series with a little bit of defense has eased yeah. uh, the, the pressure, pressure under sure. the collar, but you're right. They're going to have to finish, Kyrie especially with Kyrie out. Did not look good. In like, Game 5, no. We only know for sure that he's out for Game 5, but, I mean... That was just, he was sideways. His ankle was sideways. And that takes a long time to recover from most times. <laughs> most <laughs> most I'm, times. I'm no doctor. <laughs> like, but uh, it's not supposed to go that way. <laughs> uh, I will say this. The Jays have bounced back from my uh, proclamation. Just fine. Thank you very much. If only the bullpen could catch on. Jays and Red Sox and Sportsnet 1. Coming up, Ben Nicholson-Smith. Does management need to do something about the bullpen now?
we will discuss. Also in the next, I don't know, 100 minutes or so, here's what you're about to see on this very show. There it is. Parcel to the net, scores. Here's Pollock, tees it up, scores. And the Islanders hold on, and they will take game one. Rowdy gets into one, a long way to right, and the eighth home run of the game for the Blue Jays. 18 to four. It has been some series for the offense here at Fenway Park. I'm taking the Nuggets in three and a half. We'll hit the Cowboys. button then. Can you hit the button? Hit the button then. Oh, no, 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 not my car. Not my car. No, not my car. Oh, come on. (laughs) No. Not my car. Look at that play. No. He is a magician. Chris Paul, a sleight of hand. He is Houdini. My goodness. Performance for the ages from Chris Paul. Suns have swept the Denver Nuggets. This offense is legit. Hernandez sends a ball to left field, and it is gone. And the Blue Jays are off to a quick start again. Gone! Boy, did he turn on that inside cutter. Home run, Gurriel. Boy, this is a red-hot team. Simeon drives the ball to deep center. So they're not going to want to leave Fenway Park the way they're swinging the bats. My goodness. Hernandez drills it. Deep center field, and he has done it again. Blue Jays can put up some crooked numbers in a hurry. Another home run for the Blue Jays, and this one's going to go as well. Do you believe it? Guerrero with an opposite field home run. The eighth home run of the game. They have absolutely hammered the baseball. And the Blue Jays blow out the Red Sox by a score of 18 to 4. What a performance this club has put on here at Fenway Park. As you probably figured out, there were some fireworks in Fenway from the Jays. They set season high with 18 runs, 20 hits. In fact, they didn't even have a 20-hit sign on Fenway Park's Green Monster. It was an ugly thing beat up. Eight home runs, four times this season. They've hit five or more homers in a game. There are 14 home runs in the series so far. Most ever by an opponent in a series in Fenway Park's 109-year history, and they have another game today. Jays have hit 99 home runs this season. That leads the major leagues, and it's all led by Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who leads the AL in basically most statistical categories, or at least the major ones. And as we found out today, he's also leading the majors in all-star votes. Game four of the series wraps up tonight in Boston. Blue Jay Central gets you set at 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific. Alec Manoa making his fourth start for the Jays facing Nathan Eovaldi for the Red Sox. First guest of the day is a co-host of the uh, At The Letters podcast. You can read his stuff at sportsnet.ca. You can follow him. B. Nicholson-Smith for his daily Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is ridiculous tweet, among other things. The one and only Ben Nicholson-Smith joins me. What's up, Benny? How are you, man? I'm doing great, Tim. Always fun to be talking Jays, especially when they hit eight home runs in a game. <laughs> Definitely makes things more interesting. Yeah, it makes it a little easier to talk about the Jays, too, uh, when they're raking like this. However... We're starting off the field, kind of, or at least not with the Major League team. Some breaking news regarding George Springer. What can you tell us? 
Yeah, just a few minutes ago, we heard from manager Charlie Montoyo that George Springer will finally begin that rehab assignment. So he will go to Rochester starting tomorrow and play some games. Not sure exactly how many games he'll need, but he'll go to AAA and start making his way back, start playing some center field, getting some swings in against live pitching. And I mean, this Jays offense, as you were just saying, is already looking good. So adding Springer will make it that much better. I uh, I failed. Like it's just we've kind of had some stops and starts, no pun intended. In the George Springer is coming back. Um, this seems like the greatest sign so far, even though we're not trying to lead the horses to water here. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. sure, for sure. I think it's fair to say we'll see. But I, I think this is a good sign for the Jays, and they wouldn't put him in a rehab if they didn't think he was getting close. And playing center field, not just DHing. That's a key exactly. part. Yeah. All right. So uh, that ridiculous Vladdy tweet. Um, I don't know what the latest one was today. Can you fill us in on what your latest one was today? Or do you know it off the top of your head? Or is it just holy crap basically every day? It's every day. Like you look at the leaderboards and it's like you can look at any leaderboard you want, right? You can look at the leaderboard for the traditional stats, the triple crown stats that, you know, maybe we grew up checking the home runs, the RBIs. He's leading in those. Then you look at the war and the OPS and any stat that you can possibly dig up. Vlad Guerrero Jr. leads at least the American League. Most often he leads Major League Baseball. And this is at a time that you have Tatis Jr. and Soto, but Vladdy is just outpacing everyone with just so much power. We've seen the plate discipline. It's just all coming together for him. So it's incredible to watch. And I mean, even for a guy who had so much hype coming into his career as the son of a Hall of Famer, he's having a season that even his dad never had. And I know we're only two months in, but this is something really special. Okay, so you mentioned the two months in. If, if, it's, if it ended right now, is he the MVP or would you give it to Shohei Otani? To me, it's Vladdy at this point, and that's kind of crazy. I mean, Otani is doing historic things. Otani is having an incredible offensive season in his own right. He's also got like a 2.3 ERA. So, you know, that's the one thing that I guess he has over Vlad Guerrero Jr. So it's a win-win. Otani is a legit contender. He deserves to be there in that discussion. But to me right now, right, and you see the odds reflecting it, Vlad Jr. has to be the number one, and that's because he has produced more than any other player in the American League. You know, it's funny is I find the Toronto slash Canada like Napoleon complex when it comes to baseball doesn't exactly exist all that much because they're in the American League East and because they're playing Boston and because they're playing New York, everyone sees Vladdy a lot. And you're seeing that kind of throughout the national media in the U.S. And I think that's the way it should be. I mean, at this point. We know about Fernando Tatis Jr., right? And yeah. he's playing in San Diego. And, and of course, we're excited to, to follow what Tatis Jr. can do or Acuna. At this point in, in baseball where you can dial up any game at any time, I'm not sure that geography is as big a factor. And certainly for Vladdy, when he goes out there and does what he does against the very best teams, or usually the best division in baseball, the American League East, not a lot of freebies against uh, the competition that he faces. Remember, he still has a whole 19-game slate against the Orioles. I mean, we'll see what he does against them. So it's, it's a great, incredible start for Vlad Jr. And I, I don't think we can say that enough times. You know, it's funny because yesterday my tweet, now I'm big, big it up your tweets the entire time, but yesterday my tweet was, if the qu kids were raking with the sticky stuff, like look the bleep out or somewhere thereabouts, uh, add Springer to the mix whenever they hell... Whenever he gets back, like, 
What are we talking about here? Like, what is the what's the potential of this lineup, at least offensively? Uh, to me, the reference point is the second half of 2015 when even Ryan Cohen's and Kevin Pillar and Chris Colabello were hitting. That's probably the best lineup I've ever watched on a regular basis. And so if the Blue Jays get Springer back and if these guys can stay healthy, which, you know, of course, not talking about guarantees there. We know that with Springer from from the way the season's unfolded so far. But this lineup could be on that level. And I, I don't say that lightly. That was a phenomenal, phenomenal lineup. And that was the reason that 2015 Blue Jays team was as good as any team in the league that year, including the Royals, who won it all. So this team has immense offensive potential. It doesn't mean that they're a perfect team, even offensively. I think there's room to improve. But you look at just the depth of this lineup, and you've got guys who hit 6th or 7th or 8th who can consistently hit the ball over the wall and give you a good at-bat. Uh, we're getting into Whamco territory. I'm not afraid to say it. I was around. I'm still around, uh, at least for now. Uh, Whamco territory with this offense. So with that potential, I think the polite way to say this is I think it's incumbent on the Jays' front office to augment that offense with a little more pitching help. Or you could say the kids have done enough. Get them some damn help right now. And, and either would be fair. I, however you phrase it, right? Okay, like, yeah. it's there's no question. They need to get some pitching to help this group out. And and that's not only the short-term need for, you know, at this point, Stephen Matz on the COVID IL. They don't know who's starting Thursday. We've all seen the relief uh, escapades and the search to try to find some quality innings in the bullpen. Those issues aren't going anywhere. They're going to need relievers day in and day out now until the end of the season and in the postseason if they make it. So very clearly, they need to find some upgrades on the relief front. That's just the beginning. They need more than that. And absolutely, when you have an offense this good, you owe it to this team and to, to this young core to augment it, to invest in this group, to try to make it better and make sure that they have a chance to legitimately go into October and contend. Are there names out there? For sure. I mean, there always are. And, you know, the, the one that everyone starts with, of course, is Max Scherzer. I, I don't necessarily think the Nationals are going to trade a guy who's their first Hall of Famer in all likelihood. So I look at Kyle Gibson. I think that he is someone having a great season as a starting pitcher for the Texas Rangers who would stabilize this rotation and who has been on the Blue Jays' radar in the past. They tried to sign him a couple off seasons ago. And same with Yusei Kikuchi. They tried to sign him. He ended up going to Seattle. He's having an amazing season with them. He's on a great roll the last five, six weeks. So either one of those guys would help. Not to say that they're the only options out there, of course, and more will probably emerge in the next five, six weeks before the deadline. But those are two of the names in Kikuchi and Gibson that I would take a long look at. Okay, so one of, one of my problems with uh, the way that we've dealt with the pandemic in this country is how optics sometimes shape policy. And early on, I know when we knew little, you kind of have to do that. I get it. Now, I feel like it kind of is just lazy. So Ontario's Heritage, Sport, Tourism, and Culture Minister, Lisa McLeod, is discussing an accelerated return to sports. Spent 30 or so minutes talking earlier today and tagged a bunch of teams on Twitter. Um, I know you spent some time here. Did she actually say anything about where the Jays' path to a return is? Because I know that that was kind of the quote that came out of it, but I'm not sure I saw that. Right. It doesn't really change anything. According to the people that I was talking to today, and I asked around a bit about this, like, does this move things forward? And, and of course, we'd all love to see that happen. But the answer that I got was, not really. Not to say that it's holding it back. It's more a reassertion of the fact that 
hey, here's this checklist. Here are some of the things that the province of Ontario will be looking at as they as they welcome back sports, the Blue Jays included. And really, the Blue Jays already knew that. So those are things that they already had on their radar. Right. Now they have to involve Major League Baseball, the Players Association, the federal government. So none of that changes, and they still have a lot of work to do. So the federal government controls the borders, and all we heard today was basically some rhetoric about if we get into a good spot, we'll be able to do blank, blank, and blank, but the good spot goes through public health, right? A hundred percent. So the borders, those are the main issue. That's what Mark Shapiro said when we heard from him right. a couple of weeks ago. So at this point, and on the still hope. And on the show, exactly. Ben Nicholson's been there. And on the uh, show. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, listen, we appreciate you doing this. Uh, if you follow baseball, follow Ben Nicholson-Smith. Appreciate it, man. Anytime, Tim. Thanks. Uh, there is Ben Nicholson-Smith on the Toronto Blue Jays. And, and he, here's why how something looks is sometimes more important than what is actually said. And Lisa McLeod really has no say in this return for sports and or the Blue Jays. It's up to the chief medical officer and public health, not a minister of heritage, sport, tourism, and culture who held a 30-minute news conference to discuss an accelerated return to play. I mean, you can tag all the pro franchises you want in Ontario while also leaving the Argos out, by the way. But, like, we know the CEBL, Canada's professional basketball league, and a damn good one, already had clearance to play in six provinces, including Ontario. So ask me again about what Ms. McLeod is doing today. And I'll tell you what it is. It's called grandstanding. And I hope that in the pandemic that we were past things like that. But apparently I'm naive. Like, we booked Arash Madani. He's coming up next. Because the CFL Board of Governors is meeting today. And all of us expected a CFL return to play to be announced. And so it was. And that's exactly why we heard Lisa McLeod today. She knew that was going on. She wanted to get out in front of it and look like something was being done. If you want to do something, help the leagues without the money to do this for themselves. Get the OHL back on the ice safely. Not announce it would come or won't come when they're not allowed to hit. Like, work with public health to get guidelines so that we can return to play, so that we can get our kids back out on fields and ice and in the gym because their resiliency has already been tested way too much and their mental health demands it. That's something you can do. Don't come out here playing to pro leagues because it's going to get you on the news. And shame on the people who fall for it. I'm so sick of optics and grandstanding across aisles. I don't care what political party they're from. Think of it. The NHL can cross borders, but our Canadian men's national soccer team had to qualify for the World Cup or has to qualify for the World Cup in Chicago after playing in Haiti. And they're not the only ones on the outside literally looking in. Go talk to Olympic athletes. You know why? Because a couple of different levels of government determined that more people will be happy if we say yes to the NHL crossing the borders. And that's the bottom line. We need to demand better. The government, all levels, all parties, needs to be better. All right, time for the break. We'll continue that conversation with Arash Madani. We'll also discuss Novak Djokovic's comeback in the French Open final and the chase for the men's all-time majors record. Arash Madani next on Tim and Friends.
Welcome back to Tim and Friends. I'm Tim McAuliffe. What a weekend for Novak Djokovic at the French Open. In Friday's semifinal, he handed Rafael Nadal just his third ever loss at Roland Garros. His fans in Paris were allowed to break curfew to stay to watch the end of the match, an epic match. Then on Sunday, came back from two sets down to beat Stefano Tsitsipas in the final. Just the sixth time anyone has come back from 0-2 down to win a Grand Slam final. And Djokovic is the first player ever to do it twice in the same tournament. The win will go a long way to in building Djokovic's case as the greatest player of all time. He's now just one win behind or one major behind Federer Nadal with a with 19 titles. And he has a winning record head-to-head against both of them. Djokovic has won seven of the last 11 majors. And he's just the third man ever to win the Grand Slam career twice. He's almost halfway to becoming the third man to win a calendar Grand Slam. All those things are very, very impressive. And my next guest is Sportsnet's Swiss Army Knife. You know what? He's, he's more of Sportsnet's slap chop. Not just chopping it up, but slicing and dicing everything from tennis to baseball to football, both sides of the border, professional and otherwise. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Arash Madani. What's going on, Arash? More a Nova Scotian kind of knife than a Swiss Army knife, okay? Like Nova Scotia pint glass. How about that? Right. That'd be a lot better. And, and apparently gamer. Look headset outside. <laughs> What's going on? Madani, where are we about to drop? Oh man, I'm out in uh, I'm out in cottage country right now, oh, Timmy. So don't tell the bosses. Um, but uh, I'm having this weird thing called the day off. Uh, so. Uh, well, Hazel, enjoy the <laughs> enjoy working. the Blue Jay game tonight, Hayes. You're you're working. You're on with me. Well, I guess well, this this is close to working. Just a chat. Anyways, I'm gonna tell you, it's clear the internet signal wherever you are, you've got it mm-hmm. good, and your your gamer headset is working very well. All right, let's start. I want to get to the CFL because we got some major news, and I know uh, that for both of us, the CFL is near and dear. Well, let's start with Joker. How big was this not only beating Rafa, but doing what he did with Sitzpass and coming back from two sets down, which rarely, if ever, happens? Yeah, rarely, if ever, happens. And and what was amazing, Timmy, through the first couple of sets was just how exhausted Novak was from Friday, from what he endured going up against Nadal. Those first three sets, punishing you know, three plus hours out there on court. And it didn't look like there was much left in the gas tank for Djokovic on Sunday. He could barely even kind of crouch down for a volley, but then to come back. But the biggest thing of all here is the total. I go back to Wimbledon 2019. Roger had two match points serving for it on his racket. He absolutely choked those away. Uh, A terrible approach shot, which Novak put away, and then Djokovic goes on to win. Now, you just saw on that board, Novak is one away, six years younger than Federer, Mm -hmm. a year younger than Nadal, and I don't know outside of Paris if Rafa's got another Grand Slam in him. Look at that right there. Now, look, if Roger doesn't win Wimbledon this year, and that's asking a lot for somebody who hadn't really played until a couple of weeks ago, if Federer doesn't win Wimbledon this year, how many more, if any, does he have left? Rafa, other than Clay, 
I don't know how many he has left. If you told me Novak retires with how many slams, I would set the over-under right now at 23 and a half, right. which far surpasses both Nadal and Federer, who you know have been the... Uh, the standard bearers for quite some time. And I will say this, like I, I would always say for the Roger Federer fans out there just to stir the pot a little bit, like how can you be the best ever if you have a losing record against Rafa Nadal? And I know some of this has to do with when he came along, but Djokovic has a winning record against both of them. Correct. Head to head, Novak is superior and Novak has done it on all the surfaces. You know, Rafa's the king of clay. Nobody's going to touch him when it yep. comes to to Roland Garros. But Novak winning 2019 Wimbledon. Look, Rogers won eight times at Wimbledon, but Novak could very well get to eight. Right. That's how crazy this is. So you understand why people may not have time for Novak Djokovic. The Adria Cup last year was ridiculous. Um it was irresponsible. Some of the things he says and does are, can be for some off-putting. But the greatness on court is undeniable. Right. How long, like, part of me and growing up in a Greek neighborhood and hearing people cheering for Tsitsipas was thinking, like, okay, these guys are moving on. Like, eventually, and we've been waiting for this, whether it's Zverev, whether it's, whether it's Raonic, whether it's Zverev, whether it's the next group, the Aliasims, whether it's Shapovalovs. Like, when is this group going to move on? Because it seems like Joker is no close to moving on or not even close to moving on. And I'd say Joker and Nadal. Yeah. Because if they didn't run into one another in the semifinals, where would they be? Right. Um, in the final. To me, the next one is Medvedev. He got to U.S. Open final against Nadal, U.S. Open 2019, and just went toe-to-toe with him on a hard court. Medvedev is going to be very tough to beat. He may not be the betting favorite in New York in August and September, Timmy, but but to me, the road goes through him, even as well as Novak is playing right now. But the drop-off after Djokovic, Nadal, and Medvedev is so significant. Mm-hmm. Federer, Federer is a 7-8, 9-10 player in the world right now, and he's not playing many tournaments. His name carries more weight than his actual play. But, man, it, it was the big three. Now it's the big two. And one of these kids is kind of infiltrated. I know Dominic Team won the U.S. Open last year, mm-hmm. but Medvedev knocked on the door in Melbourne this year too. Uh, passes time will come, but you just get the sense it's no time soon. All right, so let's move on to the CFL because I want to get to this. This was breaking news a little bit before we hit the air. Uh, CFL announced a return to play would be August 5th, 14 games after a Board of Governors meeting. I know you're pretty close to those meetings. What are you hearing from this one? Well, what I can tell you, Tim, is that this was as close to a rubber stamp, tip-in, two-foot putt, whatever you want to call it, as anything. This was really decided a while ago. I had been told that the same governors who met today had been telling their front office staff for days, if not weeks now, all systems go, prepare for training camp, start getting everything into place. Just don't book anything that's non-refundable. Right. Um, This was happening. And... They needed for it to happen. This league could not have survived had they gone two years without. Now, there are a number of things involved in this. One, the protocols are very, very strict in the early part of things. For instance, 
not only are all players who come from the United States, they have to quarantine for seven days in a hotel, but even if you're a coach or a domestic player, if you live in Winnipeg and you uh, your team is in Ottawa, you'll have to do seven days there as well. So you have to wear masks all over the place, all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And if you are double vaccinated, uh, things are a lot better for you from the standpoint of if there is if you're in a close contact COVID situation, you won't have to sit out two weeks. Whereas if you're not vaccinated, you will. Now, all that to say, this was about fans in stadium. Right. And they were waiting for Lisa McLeod's announcement today, the Minister of Sport in Ontario, because there was a preliminary schedule out a couple of weeks ago internally. Then there was a new one last week. And the hope had been that they would have another schedule ready to rock today, but now it's being delayed to tomorrow. The plan had been for the East teams, especially in Ontario, to start in the West, where the governments of Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta have said, come on in. Game on. You can come into our stadium. Now, with this accelerated return to play framework that McLeod announced today, there could be a shot of having some summer football in the province of Ontario. But for the most part, teams in the East had prepared to start playing games West. Uh, BC was preparing to start early on in September uh, with home games in Vancouver, but they'd start on the road. That's what all this was. Today's Board of Governor meetings, more than anything else, was about trying to figure out when they can relax some of the COVID protocols and when they may be able to play games in Ontario and in BC. It's funny because you said uh, a few moments ago that they couldn't afford to go two years without playing, but they also can't afford to play without fans in the stands, can they? No, they need, I mean, it's a ticket ticket revenue league. You're selling tickets two by two. That's how you make money, and that's how this thing goes. So when you are a box office league, you need people in the seats. And I remember even back in March and April speaking with sources of the federal government. They said, look, we're, we'll, we're going to reach a point around May or June where, you know, the quarantine will just be seven days. The borders are across to bear. We understand that. But it's going to be up to them when it comes to and the provinces when it comes to capacity and stadium. So they, the CFL could not survive on a broadcast. Well, they could, um, but the governors last year said, hey, we're not going to do this. So uh, this was about making sure that there would be fans in the building. Otherwise, the same governors who approved it today wouldn't have. Arash Medani joining us here on Tim and Friends. All right, so here's the million-dollar question. I sat up here and I talked about this potential merger between the CFL and the XFL and wondered if people had enough time to go out there and save the game that I keep hearing that some uh, love, the three-down game. It, is this the last year of the CFL? It's hard to know, Timmy. It's really hard to know. Uh, they, they, they try to get to the starting line. This ultimately comes down to, look, there are community-run teams that want to do this. They're looking for another partner. I can't see Toronto wanting to continue with this business model, with this method of what they're doing uh, long-term. It was about making sure this happens and then they're going to continue to look at other, you know, other avenues. The XFL is one of them, but the league has the CFL has no leverage with the people at Redbird Capital and The Rock and Danny Garcia, other than those owners want to have more teams. Uh, I'm told at the governor table that the appetite to continue the CFL the way it is constructed today 
is very little. And I'm told that the commissioner, Randy Ambrosi, has told people to continue the what the CFL has been doing for the last little while. The appetite for that is very little, too. Hmm. Uh, we'll sort this out over the next couple of weeks. You want to rejoin me after you get a little break here and take a day off? Yeah, that would be wonderful. All right, that, well, that seat looks very lonely beside you, McCallum. <laughs> you should uh, listen. You're at the cottage. Go out, have a couple of drinks, do do the things that you do at a cottage. I may have already started. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Arash Madani, the perfect out cue. Thanks, buddy. There is a gamer Arash Madani uh, somewhere in the Muskoka's great living Wi-Fi. High life. Yes, great Wi-Fi. <laughs> After the break, off to Vegas. We'll get you teed up. Game one, Habs Golden Knights. That's right, kids. Game number one, the Habs playing with house money. But can they turn that into a cup? We'll discuss Sean McKenzie, Katz Campbell, Justin Bourne, Renola Vaugh, a bunch of people. Next. Tim McCallum and friends of the show. Thank you very much. Sheepdogs back here for our number two reminder. Jays Red Sox series finale over on Sportsnet 1 and Sportsnet 590. The fan tonight. Plenty of coverage on the Habs and Vegas on the way ahead of game number one, which gets going. Hockey Central, 8.30 Eastern. Jeff Petrie will not play for Montreal in game one. Dom Descharm said that they are hopeful Petrie, Jake Evans, and John Merrill will be back early in the series. Let's now head live to Sean McKenzie, who drew the tough assignment <laughs> of going to Vegas for the series. Sean, are you surviving that Vegas heat? It is dirty, dirty work, but somebody <laughs> had to step up to the plate and do it. And Tim, you know that feeling when you preheat an oven and you're like, well, is it hot enough to put my frozen pizza in yet? And you open the oven door and you get like smashed in the face. That's what it feels like to step outside right now. It's about 115 degrees. So that uh, that was a little bit of a, a shock to step into. 115. It is. Uh, it's spicy to say the least. But that's kind of the least shocking thing about getting here, especially coming from Ontario. Is when I say there are no COVID restrictions here, I mean there are none. It is a. Uh, it's Vegas, as you would expect it to be. A free for all. The clubs are packed. The restaurants are packed. The streets are packed. The casinos, the hotels, just about everything. So. This building here tonight is going to be wild at full capacity, which is something the Montreal Canadiens won't be used to. But it's something that they say isn't just an advantage for the home team. It's something that they're going to come in here and try to feed off of it, and they're going to pick up on the energy. And if you haven't been to this building, it's an experience. And there's loud buildings. There's buildings that have so much history. Like the Bell Centre is amazing, and it is a special experience. But at the other end of the spectrum is this building. It's not about history. It is about the party. And for example, I have here a menu from the Hyde Lounge, which is a nightclub, so to speak, right in the building. And and why do I have this menu? I might get hungry later. But uh, just to give you an idea of what it's all about, you can order the $1,900 bottle of Ace of Spades champagne, the (laughs) $1,100 bottle of uh, Don Julio. Yeah, yeah, the list goes on. The $7,500 bottle of Remy Martin and In honor of our old friend Sid, the chicken tender sampler for $50, (laughs) which is more on my price bracket. It's a party here. Chicken tenders and Ace of Spades champagne. Yeah, I was going to say, chicken tenders and Remy. Like, (laughs) they're right there. That might... 
that is a tasting combo right there. That's what Vegas <laughs> is all about. A little sip of $7,500 Remy, maybe a buffalo chicken tender. You're laughing. But it seems like, and I'll be fair here, listen, I understand what Vegas is about. It's all about excess. But it seems as though there is a legit hockey base there that has grown over and we were talking about how spoiled they have been since the franchise came but it does seem like in all fairness and the uh, I don't know $1,500 Remy aside like it seems like there's a legit <laughs> hockey base it's actually $7,500 get your facts yeah. right you're off by a bit. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll forgive you um, <laughs> yes it, it, it is it's an, it's an amazing fan base and what I would say about it is being here is it's almost refreshing is coming from markets like Toronto and Montreal where it's a little bit on edge it's a little bit waiting for the bad to happen because they've been through so many ups and downs this is a fan base who you know they've been through ups and downs but really it's been a success right from the start and I think they are just excited to come into a building like this and to see their team and they love it they have a passion and it's just I think just a true excitement for every single game and I think that's why it's so loud it's so wild is that they come in here with the enthusiasm of we're just happy to have a hockey team our team is exciting it's fun we're in the playoffs again what is there to be upset about if you're a vegas golden knights fan not much <laughs> yeah, not much uh true or false i bought sixero a remy bottle for our final show i delivered it to his house day of uh so that we could share a drink together socially distanced <laughs> on our last show from our basements does he have any clue that that bottle would have cost him seventy five hundred dollars in vegas <laughs> No, which is what makes you dumb for doing that. You should have shown up with the chicken tender sampler for $50, you idiot. Yeah. That's the yeah. mistake. You spent so much money, and he's probably like, oh, this is nice, but I want chicken tenders. But I think, no, you're right. It's it's the gesture. It's like giving yeah. someone a really nice bottle of wine. Like, you do the research on it, and you hand it to them, and they look at it like, oh, thanks so much, and then they throw it on the shelf, and you're right. like, no, no appreciate no, that. No, but it. it's you did, it, you did it for yourself. You gave them the nice gift so you can know that you were a, uh, a very good good former co-host uh, these these are things that i could learn if i watch the show with sean mckenzie thanks buddy appreciate it no problem i like to bring the hard-hitting facts for you it's all about this <laughs> stuff understood. right here understood there is sean mckenzie in vegas and if you need hard-hitting facts don't worry we got you covered as well golden knights have played two long hard-fought series and are facing a montreal team that obviously haven't played um outside of Canada all season. Here's Vegas head coach Peter DeBoer on the new blood of the Habs and them playing each other for the first time. We've spent a lot of time on, on watching them, particularly in the playoffs. I think that's when they've kind of found their identity and their systems under their new coach seem to be uh, more seamless. And um, But that's all you can do. And, and, you know, I'll be honest with you, um, a lot of this is about our game. We want to translate a lot of the things we did well to beat a really tough Minnesota team and a really tough Colorado team uh, into this series. Speaking of the Golden Knights, their former bench boss, Jared Gallant, has been named the next head coach of the New York Rangers. Gallant was named Vegas' first head coach back in 2017 and was let go in January of last year. He's also the head coach of the gold medal winning Canadian squad earlier this month at the World Championships. It was an absolutely terrifying scene Saturday at the Euros when Denmark's Christian Eriksen collapsed on the pitch and had to be resuscitated after suffering cardiac arrest. Now, 
Due to the quick action of the medical teams on hand, his life was saved. Erickson released this statement via his agent earlier today, and I quote, Thank you. I won't give up. I feel better now, but I want to understand what's happened. I want to say thank you all for what you did for me. An unbelievable story and an unbelievable reaction to save his life. Meanwhile, uh, there was action today. This is Czech and Scotland. And a try is luck again, but now it's Schick from range. Oh, it is a thrilling goal. It is one of the great Euro goals. It's Patrick Schick. Unbelievably. Schick with the smooth shave. How about that? Second goal of the match. Czechs nil. Sex win 2-0, excuse me, over Scotland. Well, it was a scene. National anthem. Quick check on Group D standings after one game each. Czech Republic and England on three points. Croatia, Scotland on none after opening losses. England, Scotland, Croatia, Czechs. That happens on Friday. Let's flip over Spain, Sweden. Group E, 16th minute. Spain pressing forward. Danny Olmo with the header. But Robin Olsen, how's that? Great reaction save off to the left to parry it away. 41st minute, other end. Ball over the top for Alexander Isak. Initial chance blocked. Second shot goes off of the defender. Off the post and stays out. Swedish fans can't believe it. We're not at that nil. The break, 90th minute, still scoreless. Cross in for Gerard Moreno. Head to it. Olsen again. Man of the match. Kick save and a beauty. And Sweden, you call it stealing a point? I'd say with the saves, probably. Nil-nil is the final there. Still in Group E, Poland and Slovakia. 18th minute, Robert Mack. Little nutmeg. And the shot goes off the post, off the keeper, and in. Wojtek Szczesny credited with the own goal, even though it's not. Mack did everything. 1-0 Slovakia. 69th minute now tied at 1. Rob Gronkowski's favorite minute ends up with a Slovakian win. 2-1 the final. Milan Skurniar with a touch and a goal. So Slovakia gets the full three points against Poland, who are down a man after a red card. So they are atop the Group E standings after one match. Spain and Sweden have the one point. And uh, they will play, Spain, excuse me, will play Poland in what is now a pivotal game for both. All right, international women's friendly Brazil and Canada final tune-up ahead of the 2020 Olympics for Canada. 44th minute, it's the GOAT, Christine Sinclair playing it down. Jesse Fleming from distance. Oh, and a nice touch over the bar by Barbara. Main scoreless at the half, 85th minute, Canada corner, swung into the area. Zadorski gets ahead on it. Hits the post, stays out. This one ends in a nil-nil draw between two teams that could be on the podium at the Olympics in Tokyo. All right, so that is your news of the day. Let's go back to Vegas now. And joining me from T-Mobile Arena is Renault Lavoie. And Renault, 
I heard that you're in the arena because it's in yep. the 40s Celsius in Vegas today. Well, do you, is it like soup? Like, what are we doing here? Well, to be honest with you, legally, I can't go out. So I'm oh, in a really? bubble. I'm allowed to right. stay in my hotel room. I'm allowed to take the bus to the rink. I'm allowed to be at the rink. That's it. That's all. So I can't tell you what's going on outside right now. I'll be honest with you. I didn't. Uh, I didn't have the chance to uh, have a walk or anything else. If I'm if I'm outside, there's a good chance it's going to be uh, tough for me to come back to the country. The well, country. Let me tell you this, uh, Renault. I believe <laughs> that it's going to be a high of 47 on Wednesday. Yeah. So maybe it's not a bad thing that you're, <laughs> exactly. you're in the air conditioned exactly. covered of the arena. There's, I'm with you. There's so many storylines heading into this one. There's the Montreal underdog story. There's two great yeah. keepers in Carey Price and the hometown boy Marc-Andre Fleury going toe-to-toe. We're talking about the greatest expansion team in the history of the game against the greatest team in the history of the game, looking for number 25, trying to bring a cup home to Canada for the first time since 1993. Pat Charetti against his former team, never mind <laughs> Suzuki. Like, what jumps out to you as the best storyline or the one that you'll be watching heading into this game number one tonight? There's so many, yeah. to be honest with you. If I'm on the uh, Vegas side, you, you're, I'm going to look at Max Pacioretty. Uh, you know, the last time uh, uh, the Canadians faced the next captain, and it was in 1968 uh, wow. in the playoffs. Can you imagine? Yeah. Uh, that was a long time ago. Uh, and, and, no, I, I think that Max uh, is going to be pumped up for uh, this matchup. Obviously, uh, when you're pumped up, you're putting more pressure on yourself. So it's going to, going to be interesting to see how he's going to react. Uh, on the Montreal side, um, obviously, everybody's talking about the crowd, which is which could be an issue uh, if there's um, you know, maybe another 3,000 fans in the stands in Montreal. That's that's way uh, not enough, and we can compare to what's going to happen here tonight and, and during Game Two Wednesday. So that's that's something that uh, scare me a, a, a little bit. But if I'm looking at the, the Montreal Canadiens, I'm looking at a team that's playing with no pressure. Let's be honest, the pressure is on. Uh, the Golden Knights, uh, they have to win. They have to uh, go to the Stanley Cup. Uh, their favorite to, to win uh, the, the, this Stanley Cup with probably the Tampa Bay Lightning. Mm -hmm. So uh, they, they need to have a really good game tonight. Are the Habs relishing the role of underdog? Are they enjoying this role of underdog? Totally. Yeah. Or are they a little oh, pissed yeah. off? Because no, no, no. They yeah. loved it. Like, they, they embraced that role before the start of the playoffs. Uh, that question was asked to Josh Anderson, and he said, I love it. I love it. And and rightly so, because if you look at the Leafs, the first game that they played versus the Montreal Canadiens, it was not their best game. I'm not saying that they didn't deserve a better fate, but that was a, a huge loss for them. When, if you look at the big picture, uh, the Jets, with what Mark Scheifele did, uh, I mean, at the end of the first period, you, you know that, you know, it's obvious that this team was not respecting the Montreal Canadiens at all. And that's why they got swept in a way. Now, how is going to turn out for the, for the Golden Knights um, and, and how the, the Canadiens are going to react to it? But if, if the Canadiens are losing um, after one game, I don't think that they, they're going to feel bad about them, themselves. They know that they still have a, a, another whack at it. But if they win tonight, I think it's going to change a lot of things uh, for the Golden Knights and the Montreal Canadiens. It, it feels interesting going into game one. And I think that, you know, since you're in Vegas, we'll use the term they're playing with house money here. 
but also <laughs> there, there's there's a couple of I love veterans in these spots, and especially when veterans who haven't yeah. been here before. This is the first time Shea Weber's played in a Final Four. Totally. Carey Price has been here before, but he did it as a backup to Yarrow Halak, yeah. and then he got hurt yeah. in the Chris Kreider collision. Like, how many of the players on the team know these backstories and are looking to try and get it done for these veterans who are the backbone of this team? Remember what happened before Game 5 in Toronto. They had a big team meeting. Yeah. Uh, all the veterans, uh, you know, uh, Eric Stahl, Corey Perry, Shea Weber, Carey Price, all these guys, I mean, they, they, they talked. And they, they, they said to everybody inside that room, you think, you think you'll have another chance, another whack at it? It's not true, okay? We need to, we need to do some damages this year. We're getting older as a team, uh, and, and that's, for me, what's the difference here. Um, you look at the fourth line of the Montreal Canadiens, Stahl, Perry, and Armia. This is right now one of the best line in the game. In the game. Think about it. So I, I think they're, they're playing, uh, like I, I mentioned, with no pressure, but they're on a mission. It's two different things. Uh, let me ask you one more. I know you got to get going here, but I look yeah. at I look at what happened at the start of the Toronto series, and I remember the storylines yeah. at three one. Mark Bergevin on the hot seat. Dom mm -hmm. Ducharme, <laughs> this guy's done. Has Dom Ducharme now solidified his spot? Do you think he'll be the head totally. coach of the team next year? Next year, he'll be the coach of the team, yeah. no doubt about that, because, you know, he deserved it, first of all. He's proving a lot to uh, people. Uh, he's well-known in uh, the coaches' community, um, even, you know, not only in Quebec, but in Canada. And uh, I think that right now he's pushing the right buttons, buttons and uh, that, that's, that's the difference right now. Yes, he'll be behind the Montreal Canadiens bench next season. And Renaud Lavoie will be at the game tonight. Uh, we're doing his yes, work sir. on TV. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Know you got to go. Appreciate it. Thanks, thanks, thanks for having me again, my friend, by hey, the way. Anytime. Anytime. Take You're care. always a great fan. There is Renaud Lavoie, who's been doing this since our days on the radio show and continues to uh, put in work for us, even though he doesn't work for us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll continue the hockey talk after the break. Justin Bourne joins. Speaking of guys doing work, he'll join me in studio with his thoughts ahead of the Habs and Golden Knights. Plus, Colby Armstrong sits down with Max Pacioretty before he faces his former team. We'll hear from the former Habs captain. Tim and Friends continues on Sportsnet. was one week ago tonight as the Habs claim their spot in the final four. They've now won seven straight games, but will be facing a fired up packed crowd in Vegas tonight as heavy underdogs, though they're used to it in game one. Josh Anderson thinks that the Habs can feed off of that energy in the ring tonight. 100%. Um, obviously, we got a little bit of a, a taste at it at home with the Bell Center and um, just having 2,500 fans in there, um, you know, felt uh, similar to a packed house. Um, so coming in here, 
um, with uh, the building, you know, fully packed, uh, it's going to be excited. And a lot of people are thinking that it's going to be um, an advantage for Vegas. But listen, we haven't played in front of a crowd in, in you know, all, all season long. So uh, I think we're going to be very excited to, to feel that energy um, from, the, from the crowd and, um, you know, take full advantage of it. Not only that, they're the first Canadian team to play in the United States in 460 days. you got to go back a long ways. The Cavalcade of Hockey Guests continues with the co-host of Hockey Central at Newton, a dude that has been a true friend of the show, Justin Bourne. What up, JB? Hello, hello, hello. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. So that, like, listen, I understood that the crowd played a factor in games. I think I underestimated how much the crowd plays a factor in games until we realized that... There was so much more juice in the games being played right. south of the border. Do you think, though, a team going into a hostile environment for the first time in a while will be affected negatively by this? I don't. You know, no. I played for the University of Alaska Anchorage, which um, crowds, not huge. Right. You know, we weren't a huge school, but we would go down and we would play the Minnesota Gophers and right. North Dakota um, and routinely just get mopped. Right. However, <laughs> our team played better. And I know that sounds r- ridiculous. We did have uh, more success. There's just, it's like at least people care. You right. know, like there is some investment, a little bit of adrenaline, and, and you can feel that. Um, you know, you get a little bit extra stamina. I would say your legs have a little bit, uh, you're able to keep going longer. So I don't think it's going to negatively affect them. They play at the Bell Center, these guys. Like, they're not intimidated by humans watching them. I think it's going to be good for them. The other thing is sometimes uh, just, just a little juice, you know, a couple hits. And if you play that role that, you know, Brendan Gallagher kind of plays it, where, mm-hmm. you know, Brad Marchand's that type of guy, where you know that you're going to draw the ire from the fans. Sometimes you can feed off of yeah. even negative energy. Got to lean into that black hat, right? <laughs> yes. To just really fire yeah. up people and give the whole Mr. Perfect when you, you know, do something dirty. It is good for players like that. And I think they're going to need, Montreal's going to need Brendan Gallagher. They're going to need more yeah. of that physical edge, that in front of the net garbage type of uh, goal scoring style. Because this uh, Vegas team uh, gave up the least goals in the NHL this past season Montreal already doesn't score a ton so they're going to need some filth in front of the net how good is the goaltending matchup in this one and I know that's a rhetorical question and I'm setting you up for yeah it really is like Marc-Andre Fleury is a fun goalie to watch Carey Price I think is exceptionally like sound and positional and you watch him go at a talent but Fleury is like it's theater he engages the crowd he tried to score an empty net goal last game (laughs) like he's not afraid to to really lean into it so no I'm, I'm pumped about pretty much every aspect um, uh, watching this one. How do the Habs win this series? You know, they kind of got to boil it down to a close-scoring games, right? 2-1, 3-2, get the bounces. They're, it's fun, I think, when you're on a team that's not the better team and no one claims otherwise. Right. Like, even if you're a Montreal Canadiens fan, you're like, we're, you know, we're better than Vegas. No, no one thinks that. But you, <laughs> there are ways to slow... Wait, wait we'll get a few tweets. Okay. <laughs> but I think if you acknowledge that they're the better team, it's like how I think the Jets had to deal with Edmonton. Like, McDavid's better than anyone we have. How do we handle the best player? And then you can focus and adjust on, okay, we shut down their strengths first and bring them down to our level. And Montreal's strengths, fortunately, are hanging around in these close games. So, yeah, it's just admitting who you are a little bit, leaning into what, what you got to do. It's funny because you look at these two lineups, and obviously I know Renault Lavoie said they're among the best lines in hockey, and I think what he was saying about the Habs' fourth line is that mm. they've been playing really well. 
and this has been a key to this team. But when you look at what Vegas does well, it's not just score goals. Like right. Mark Stone could be Philippe Deneau on steroids, yeah. right? Like, oh, yeah, he'll shut you down, but he'll also he'll go sc- get a point per game right. the other way. Right. Like it's just it's almost as if Montreal will need every piece of those four lines yeah. if they're going to do it. But the good news is they have been doing that for two rounds. Yeah. Let's just, you know, call a spade a spade. There's luck in playoffs. You yeah. need some luck for – you never know how it's going to go, but, like, John Tavares gets knocked out three minutes into the first game and all of a sudden things get easier for Montreal. Shifley's out after game one. Things get easier. I'm not saying they need to go cruise, you know, into Mark Stone and see what they can make happen. <laughs> However, you just never know what's going to unfold. And, look, they're a good enough team to hang with anyone, and they're going to need some breaks. That's the reality for most teams, more so when you're the underdog, and it's no different here. How good is Vegas's offense? Because I remember, and it's hard to compare apples to oranges, but you go into that first series against the Leafs, mm-hmm. and I think they did catch a break because you you lose some of the balanced scoring when John Tavares went out. That's why William Nylander, especially early on, was such a huge factor for the Leafs. Right. When you look at what Vegas does, I mean, that second line mm-hmm. is as good as many teams' first lines. And yeah. they... They, I know if you look at the analytics, they're a really good offensive team. How good? Can we tell if they're better than the Leafs? Can we tell if they're around what the Leafs were? Well, they, they do it differently, which I think is actually not awesome for Montreal. Like the other two, the two teams they faced, I think were pretty top heavy, mm-hmm. which allowed them to use four defensemen. Um, the, the, the time on ice for their top four was staggeringly high compared to their third pair. And they didn't love getting into that third pair against mm-hmm. Vegas it feels like that third pair is going to have to play and has a chance to be exposed just because they're so good all the way through their lineup. It's just a different type, a more balanced attack than they've previously seen in, play, uh, previously seen in playoffs. Is that why Petrie's injury is so huge? Yeah, it's massive. Yeah, yeah that, that's really unfortunate. I talked about luck and how it Correct. can swing the balance of things. Like, if you're going to be Cinderella and upset a bunch of teams and win a Stanley Cup when no one thinks you are, you can't be without a guy like him. Now, I think he's going to come back. I don't think they're not going to have them all playoffs. I think, you know, it's a hand thing that probably, you know, tape it up in a couple of days. Maybe it's functional. It'll hinder them, but they need them on the ice. So, yeah, bad luck, man. That's, that's way too bad. I'll say this. Like, watching him in practice, there wasn't a lot of uh, Hope. <laughs> the injury hand on the stick, yeah. the modified glove. Like, you can see there, like, he's not wanting to even put the stick in I wonder that. if that's just told he can't. Like, the doctors are like, you can go skate, but if I see your hand on that stick, you're coming in the dressing room. Right? That's, that might be true, too. <laughs> yeah. But the modified glove and everything, it just it, it didn't seem good. No, and I've, I've played with a broken thumb before, and I know that's different than this, and I was so, so bad. Like, I'm getting, <laughs> right. I'm not compared to my, just compared to my normal level, I should say. I, right. I was already pretty bad, <laughs> but I was so much worse. You just right. can't do the things that make you, make you special, so that's, that's going to hurt them the whole way through. How many minutes do you think Shea Weber plays tonight? Like, I mean, he's been averaging over 25. You can't really lean on him yeah. any much more, can you? No, and what's funny is, like, you look at a lot of the guys who play a ton, like the guys who lead the league, and it used to be Eric Carlson who'd play a ton and Thomas Shabbat and these fleet-of-foot sort of Bambi-legged guys. They can <laughs> just, you know, like, Shea Weber ain't Prancing that. up and down the yeah, ice. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's like Duncan Keith used to play 48 minutes a game, I think. Right. That's ballpark. But, yeah, no, like, you don't <laughs> you don't get that from Shea Weber. He's your dump truck, and it's going to be tough to ask him to play 30 minutes a night against Vegas. So what, what storyline intrigues you the most? I just rattled them off, or at least the ones that I saw off the top of my head to Renault Lavoie. What's, what storyline jumps out to you? Because I, I find that fans gravitate to these things, right? Like, they, they, it, whether it's the captain against his former team, whether it's these two goalies, what jumps out to you? 
I'm, I'm pretty interested in the fact that there are four Quebec-born players on, on Vegas. Like, yeah. there's more. I think it's only Philip Deneau for Montreal. And, man, I'm not even going to try to get the four guys on Vegas. Oh, here, let's try. Carrier, Waugh. Marcheseau. Marcheseau. Uh, there's and one Fleury. More. Is that it? Yeah. Marc-Andre Fleury. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Okay, yeah. we did it. We, we go. did it. Good yeah, there us. you go. <laughs> <laughs> teamwork, but, uh, Mason. Teamwork, my yeah, friend. Yeah, they even post that for us, too. So, yeah. yeah. No, I think <laughs> that that's really cool for Montreal fans, something to lean into there. Um, but for me, in terms of, like, a tactical thing, I just want to see, can Montreal get some goals? Like, they're going to need Cole Caulfield. Like, if you're going to do your thing, it's kind of go time for you. Uh, right. Suzuki, can Gallagher finally get a couple? Because that's the big thing. If Montreal's offense looks even similar to what it's been, I, they're going to be in trouble. Well, you get uh, priced those three goals. That's all you well, got to do. You get priced the three goals, and you, you're good to go. three goals four times. That's right. all you need. Score 12 in the series, you probably win. All right. So one of the storylines that uh, the folks in Montreal are gravitating towards is their former captain, Max Pacioretty. It is, of course, one of the big stories heading into this series. Uh, Pacioretty facing his former team, the one he once captained. Our own Colby Armstrong played one season with Patch Reddy in Montreal, and they recently caught up over Zoom. Here's a look. Max, are you good? You comfy? Oh, yeah, totally. You're the big story, the former captain playing Montreal Canadiens, your old team, the captain. How do you feel about it? I'm really excited. It won't be the same going to the Bell Centre with not as many fans, and, and that part of it won't be, uh, you know, the same. Uh, but it'll still be, you know, cool to play against my old team and have a lot of friends and, and family and, and, uh, and attendance. It'll be cool. Being named the captain in Montreal, too, I mean, like, incredible history, total, like, honour. What was that like for you? It was surreal. Like, I never would have thought in a million years that, you know, an American kid who didn't know anything about the history of the Habs when I first got there and I didn't know how important it all was and the, you know, the players that had played there and their success, the Hall of Famers. And I would never take back any of those uh, experiences or memories because at the end of the day, it made me who I was. And a lot is being made right now and it seems like the tone is uh, people want me to, you know, be negative about this situation, but I have nothing but positive memories. And, and not many people get to say they were the captain of the Montreal Canadiens. And, and that's something that I'll uh, cherish and honor for the rest of my life. Yeah, man, I was the warm-up guy when I was hurt. I mean, that's... <laughs> <laughs> you, were, you did it pretty damn well, though. Yeah, buddy. Hey, listen, do you miss playing with me? Like, I, I sometimes wonder that. Yeah, I tell people all the time, if you could play with one guy all over again, who would it be? And I said, it's the arm dog. <laughs> Even though you made fun of how... How hairy I was, we uh, we still got along great. <laughs> it was hilarious, but if I was on a line with you and Stoney, Stone, let's keep it pro, you think I'd be just sniping? Do you think I could snipe with you guys, couple? What, what happened when you played with Sid? Yeah, yes, let's go, get me on that line. <laughs> That's what, yeah, you play with Stoney, you, you, you can snipe some goals for sure if you're playing with Stoney. Oh, he's unreal, eh? Yeah, he's next What's level. up with his energy? Like, just wicked high fives, full-blown, like, open-handed, like, high-five guy, hey? Yeah, like, you have to get your shoulder assessed every time you score, but it's <laughs> worth it. <laughs> Rotator cup blown out, high-fiving stone. Like, what are the odds of you getting after Gallagher, Brendan Gallagher, a little bit slash, maybe a punch, getting after that little guy a little, you know? Yeah, we'll, we'll go after each other, and I'm sure he'll be bleeding from the mouth, and he'll smile in my face when he gets up, as he usually does, and that's just the way he plays with a ton of energy. I played on his line for a long time, and we got in a lot of scrums because of it but I'll be on the other end of those scrums uh, at this time for the first time. That's so true, buddy. Who's keeping the room lighted? Who's, who's the guy in the room? Who's the dressing room guy? Flower and Marshy, and, <laughs> and Marshy is just like, I would say he's actually similar to yourself. 
It's just the most outlandish comments, jokes, pranks, and there's Flower in the, in the weeds, you know, quietly getting him back and pranking him. And it's nice to have kind of yin and yang in the room and, and uh, I guess keeping us honest and keeping us loose as well. Thanks, buddy. Say hi to the family. All right, see you, Apache. Nothing like the guys that played with the guy. Uh, Colby, you can see all that version, the entire thing on Sportsnet's YouTube page and Sportsnet.ca. Kind of cool to see that angle between the two. Yeah. And kind of cool to see Pacioretty still has. I mean, you look at that trade now, and both teams did pretty well. Suzuki, uh, a second-round pick, and Tatar. Yeah. How much are you jealous of Colby that he can just do interviews and go, like, how much? How awesome am I? How much do you guys miss me, right? Am I greater? Hey, if I was playing with you guys, it's like you got March. Sorry, you got Pacioretty for nine seconds. Seconds here, Colby. Can we get to the hockey? I love, I love it. Ernie. I wish every once in a while I should just do that on this show. Yeah. Like, hey, if I played on that line, how would I look? Right. And speaking of that, how good do I look today, just in general? Uh, awesome work, Colby Armstrong. Took time off of Kess's house right. to go and do that. What a, what a life. Uh, yeah. What a life. Uh, so, it, do you think that that plays a factor in this series at all, or? Once you're traded, and it's been a while. It's not like it's just fresh and right. it just happened. It's been a couple of years now. Is it just settle in and play hockey? I don't think so. Like, there's a lot of emotions that are tied to these trades and to your former teammates, and there's a lot that goes into it. And I, I think you saw in the first two rounds Ben Sherratt trying to get under Austin Matthews' skin. In the next round, he's going after the top guys in Winnipeg. Mm. Like, there's definitely an element of what can you do to these other teams to make them not play the game they want to play. And if that happens to be discussing previous incidents or, you know, bringing up some old scars. Guys aren't above it, man. It's a pretty important time of year. And it's funny because, you know, obviously both sides are taking the high road, but it didn't end all that well for Max Pacioretty in Montreal. Like, there's a bit of scapegoating going on there. Right. No, there there is. And, you know, a lot of sort of mixed messaging behind the scenes about, like, oh, this is what they're saying about that guy and why he had to go or this is what he, why he wanted out. Um, you know, almost like a underground PR battle. But either way, you didn't get the sense that both sides were like, you know what, I still love you, but let's move on. Like, it doesn't feel like that's how that ended. So there's something there. Right. All right. Uh, can you stick around? I got it. All right. Uh, after the break, Cassie Campbell-Pascal will join the fray. She jumps in on the conversation. Can the Habs ride the wave? Can they pull off? An eight straight win in this incredible playoff run. Is there magic in the air once again in Montreal? And the Isles, they got a game one win against the Lightning in Tampa. We'll add that to the equation with Cassie Campbell next on Tim and Friends. Tim and Friends, which includes Justin Bourne, Jesse Rubinoff, less than two hours away from Hockey Central on Sportsnet. Ahead of Game 1 in Vegas. Cole Caulfield made his NHL debut less than three months ago and now gets to play in the Final Four. He was asked today about staying in the moment. I think you got to have that, you know, wherever you're at. Um, it's a good thing to be positive and kind of be where your feet are, enjoy the moment, but um, now it's just time to win and um, you know, that's really all that's important right now. Tim McAuliffe, Justin Bourne back in studio and joining me now from her home in Calgary, which at this point, all of Canada knows. Uh, here's Cassie Campbell, Pascal. Did you ever think that Canada would know my basement at one time and your home as intimately as they do now? Like your home office is on national TV every day. Yeah, you know, I get chirped all the time. People are saying, are you laying on your, like, hardwood floor because of the, <laughs> the, the wall I have behind me? And 
And then they're like, why don't you put up jerseys and photos? And this is my office and I do have photos around it, but this is me, you know, just plain Jane. And this wall, I don't know if it comes across as nice as it is on TV, but it's not so shabby. <laughs> but I get chirped all the time. Put it's, up some photos. Put up some jerseys. It's because of Bexa doing oh. the theatrics with right. that one, that one uh, nightstand or whatever the hell it's called in the back shelving <laughs> unit in the back. That thing of Brian Burke scares me every time. Like every time I see it, I really think he's there. And uh, you know, it's so lifelike and real. And every once in a while, it just pops over and it pops this way. And then sometimes there's a different angle. And and then the little touches he has behind the scenes. I mean, he's got too much time on his hands. Yeah, that that was an intimidating cutout. Every time I saw it, I felt like my opinion was less valuable just seeing it. Um, I, I guess I'll take he it to the. He used to be ice. my husband's boss, so I oh. know Berkey for a long, long time, and uh, he still scares me sometimes. Yeah, we uh, we were just discussing the the Canadian series against Vegas, and if there's any path forward for Montreal, pretty much everyone is picking against them, uh, and most people in a short number of games. Do you see any way that they find their way past this very good Vegas Golden Knights team? Well, there's this guy that plays goal for the Montreal oh. Canadiens, and his name is Carey Price. And I love Marc-Andre Fleury, don't get me wrong. But I, I just feel Carey Price, you watch him in his media availability and how dialed in he is. You know, all the guys are talking about how he's still first on the ice, still working on his game at this point in the playoffs. Honestly, you guys, and I know Vasilevsky, and I know there's other great goaltenders out there, but I still believe... When Carey Price is on his game, he is the best goaltender in the world. He is the most athletic because you never see him out of position. He doesn't have to make those acrobatic saves. But to me, he's the factor, and he can get into the head of the Golden Knights, and and I think he's going to have to play a big part if Montreal is going to win this series. Sometimes I hate having to know all sports, Cassie, and sometimes I gives me a little bit of a perspective because I'm on the outside looking in. And there have been a couple times where I've sat on this desk and there have been people who have told me that, you know, spending money on a goaltender is passe and that the goaltending position is best if you can find two goalies, maybe a 1A and a 1B who give you, you know, and maybe at a cheaper rate who give you steady goaltending. And yet here we are with a final four and three of the four teams are top four in spending on goaltenders like when it comes down to it and when it matters most you still need a really good goalie in this league no without question I I just think that's how you still win um you know even when Mark Bergevin signed Carey Price to that long-term deal big money deal they were debating internally should we do this based on the cap should we spend this much money on a goaltender but I think when you've got a guy like Carey Price, who's as good as he is, but he's really the pulse. He's really the guy that still leads behind the scenes. And then his buddy Shea Weber comes in and two guys who are at this point in their career and they haven't won. And they formed this little band that I think has just taken this team to where we're seeing them today. They're big factors. Guys are wanting to win for them. And I mean... Just look how easy Carey Price makes saves look. And that's what's so special about him. You rarely find him out of position. He finds pucks through traffic. But I still think you got to spend money on a goal. You need a goaltender, not a 1A, 1B. You need a 1A to win in this league. 
Yeah, I think that's um, a lot of people are feeling that way right now. Um, to take it across to the the other series, looking at the goaltenders there, Vasilevsky so good, Varlamov so good. Watching game one between the Islanders and Tampa, do you feel like um, that was indicative of what we're going to see, that the Islanders have a real chance of getting by the defending cup champions, or do you uh, expect things to look awfully different the rest of this series? Well, I definitely expect some of the offensive key guys for Tampa to step up their game. And, you know, I loved what Steven Stamkos said, you know, on the one goal, it's my mistake, and he's showing accountability as a leader. But they have another level offensively to get to, and I didn't think they played a great game in game number one. And part of that is because you're, you're going against a team that is so disciplined defensively. They play as a five-man unit up in the D zone, in through the neutral zone, into the offensive zone. And sometimes you got to be patient to pick it apart. Um, but it's a team that you definitely can't take for granted with the New York Islanders. I definitely, though, expect Tampa, the offensive guns, to, to come out much better in game number two than they were in game one. Uh, my, my opening block to this show is a bit of an adventure. But one of the things that I was talking about in that opening block was the fact that this was the year of the underdog. Nine of the 12 series have been won by the lower seed. Last round, all four lower seeds ended up winning the series, and lo and behold, the Islanders go and win game one in Tampa. Is this a coincidence, or is there something to this in this year, Cassie? Well, I, I think if you get in the playoffs, you have a chance. You hear that over and over again. You know, You just want that opportunity to find your game when it matters the most. I still think that there's something powerful about the underdog. You know, it gives you that extra motivation, that extra drive, if you will, to beat those teams, you know, especially for the Islanders looking to beat the defending Stanley Cup champions. I mean, you get motivation from those things. But I also believe there's something to be said about the confidence of winning and growing as a team throughout the year. And that's why we still see Vegas in there. We still see Tampa in there. And, of course, Colorado was ahead of Vegas, but they were right there, back and forth, right to the end of the season. So you're still going to see the top teams, but there is some power in the underdog, and I think you definitely get some motivation from it. And you also get a little less pressure coming into a series with that uh, mindset. Cassie, I think there's been a lot of noise over the years that hockey's been moving in a different direction, that it's faster and it's going to be less violent and just offense, offense, speed, speed, speed. But yet again, you look at the teams that are in here in Montreal, slows it down a bit. New York slows it down a bit. Vegas defends very well. Like, do you believe there's going to be, there is an evolution in the way hockey is being played and the way you have success? Or is hockey fundamentally just going to be about defense and defense wins championships? I still think the foundation is that defense wins championships and you have to have offensive stars that are willing to buy into the complete game. You know, Justin, I'm going to say something. We are watching the game get faster and faster. And I always worry that it's going to become more dangerous. You know, we, we just have big guys out there running around. There's no interference at all. And, you know, I often just watch the game sometimes and just pray like, boy, I hope no major things happen because the game is getting faster. The rink is not growing. It's staying the same. Um, and you just watch what these guys can do at such a high pace. But, you know, I think we're going to come in about four or five years from now where we're going to want to slow the game down a little bit because it's getting so fast. And I don't want to say so dangerous because hockey's physical, but I think we're going to see some changes here where we're almost too fast. 
You know, it's funny because I was talking to Ron McLean last week about the penalties that were being called, and it was specifically after a game where we saw two penalties called and one of them was a puck over glass. And I was wondering if the refs are letting too much go. But to your point, Cassie, we're at this point where I hear people say, ah, I love old school hockey and I love physical hockey, but you're bang on. Like, guys were never this big back then. They were never moving this fast, and there was never less room. And I think that's why you see the reactions that we see when a guy gets hit hard. And there's fans going, oh, why is there a scrum after a guy got hit hard? And it's because the players are saying we can't have this anymore because it's a little more dangerous than it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, I think so. And, and, you know, we don't necessarily see the big open ice hits in the neutral zone like we used to, but we still see those races for icing. We still see a defenseman going back for the puck and you've got a guy coming at him 100 miles per hour and he's not being slowed down. You know, I think of that Cal Clutterbuck hit on Brandon Carlo last round. Not dangerous as far as Cal Clutterbuck making a dirty hit. It was just a hit where Brandon Carlo can't defend himself because he's got a four-checker coming at him 100 miles per hour. You know, those are the things that I think in four or five years, hey, our game is great. I'm not complaining. I think this playoffs has been amazing. But I think in four or five years, those are something we're going to relook at as far as the NHL and making sure that the game is going, is getting faster, getting more skilled, but at the same time remaining safe. I know you guys have been working really hard. Really appreciate you taking time and doing this with us. Yeah, cheers, you guys. Thanks for having me. Be well. There is Cassie Campbell-Pasco. Brian Burke likes the bear hug, right? He's been advocating that for years. Yeah, so that you can't get at the guy and hit him at 100. Yeah, like a D-man, a forward for checking a D-man on his back or vice versa. You should be able to wrap the guy up rather than just, like, blow him up into the boards. Right. And it's funny, in, in football, uh, they've changed rules similar to that where if a, if a player is already engaged with a blocker, yeah. a second guy can't come and engage. That was always ridiculous that you could. But right. I mean... <laughs> But and you, you you think about it at the time, no like what? You can't double team a guy? Right. And it's like no no no, you just can't engage or go low and high and like like they've changed these subtle rules to make it a little more easy and a little less dangerous. And I wonder if the NHL gets to that point. Yeah, and I think, you know, what Cassie's talking about more than anything is, like, I'm thinking of the Tavares moment where it's just, like, Perry doesn't have time to react. Like, not that that was a super high-speed collision, but I think there are more frequent moments where you judge the intent of a player who just didn't have time to react because it's happening so fast. Because everyone's moving so fast in the ice. Uh, All right, we're moving fast here, too, getting you to game number one between Vegas and Montreal. We'll do last call with Jesse Rubinoff for as much time as we have for last call with Jesse Rubinoff. (laughs) Next, here on Tim and Friends. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Our Monday tip of the cap goes to the Canadian women's basketball team. They're now 3-0 at the FIBA America Cup in Puerto Rico after a win over El Salvador today. The women hadn't played together since February of last year before the event, but they picked up where they left off, beating the U.S. Virgin Islands by 60 in their opener. Tighter game against Brazil, but they did win. They will take on Colombia at 3-0 tomorrow. So that is our Monday, the tip of the cap. Justin Bourne in studio for last call. Jesse Rubinoff will conduct it, and he is sitting at a socially distanced pace. Yes, very much indeed. Uh, we mentioned it earlier. The New York Rangers have hired Gerard Gallant to be the new head coach. Gallant has been out of the NHL since being fired by the Golden Knights in January of 2020. Justin, do you like the fit for the Rangers? I do. It's awesome. I have this theory about coaches that... Um, 
they're all kind of similar, but you can really expose yourself if you're bad. Mm. He's definitively not bad. He's yeah. one of the good ones, and I think he's uh, he's going to be what they need there in New York. He seemingly has had success, and people have rude letting him go yeah, in a lot right. of different spots. So good to see him get another gig in the in the NHL yeah, because I think he deserved it. Uh, and he's had some tough luck, let's oh, be honest. For sure. The cab thing still blows The cab thing is ridiculous. <laughs> the cab thing is so ridiculous. Uh, we talked about the Nets injuries earlier in the show, and it's now been confirmed that Kyrie Irving and James Harden will not play in tomorrow's critical Game 5. Tim, is there any way Brooklyn can win without them? Yeah, because they still have Kevin Durant, who's playing at an MVP-type level. I don't think they will, but they can. And that is the most important thing. If they are able to steal a win in that game because Devin, Kevin Durant plays yeah. out of his head, um, then they win the series. But I don't think they will. Can big, they? Yes. Will big they? for his Probably legacy, not. is it not? Like to yes. go carry a team, like a guy 100%. who went to Golden State to win his titles. It's like, all right, your two guys are down, so. Get ahead. Yeah. Even, even with the one guy out, there was the opportunity of that. Right. But now, and he's he's been unbelievable. If he does this, it will go a long way. Great break for the Bucs because there were so we talked oh. about it earlier. There was so much noise about Giannis win, and now they get they, to play this team minus their two stars. Shockingly, two they did it with defense yeah. also. PJ Tucker, NBA, not yeah. yeah, crazy. Uh, fresh off his historic win at the PGA Championship, Phil Mickelson can complete the career Grand Slam this week at the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines. Mickelson said today that he shut off his phone and tuned out social media. So, Justin, when was the last time you completely unplugged oh. from all your devices? Oh, my God. That's uh, during the pandemic. I not once. I don't, <laughs> I don't think. I don't even have I was, a, I was, no, it's not what I was expecting. No, I was expecting I don't a, have yeah, a, a lot date. of time. Like, I, I, like, I'm that guy. If you, if you send me an email and I claim, like, ah, just seeing this lied. I lied to you. I see everything is second and sent to me. I am the complete opposite. Oh, yeah. And during the pandemic, like, I was so freaked out about the news that I, like, even my wife was like, you know what? You should probably turn your yeah, phone yeah. off. <laughs> yeah. This would be a good idea and if you just kind of zoned out. Would have been good for me, too. Didn't take <laughs> right. that advice. Timmy, quickly, uh, yeah. the cover for Madden 22 video game will be revealed on Thursday, and today EA Sports released this teaser video featuring two goats. So, Timmy, who do you think will be on the cover of two Madden goat. 22? There's only one goat. It's Tom Brady. Like, who the is great, the other goat? The greatest of all times? What are we doing? There's one. Is it Patrick Mahomes? Maybe it's a like a legend of some sort. It's gonna be a like not someone who's actively playing. I don't know. Mark Brady is only one. Right. Sanchez. Right. I'm a Jets fan. Mahomes. Brady is someone. <laughs> You're a Jets fan. Yeah. If it wasn't COVID, I'd hug you. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a tough time. Yes. Yeah. It's lean for a lot of us. I watched Larry David's show from yesterday. Do you remember that one where the guy took his life because of the Jets? <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, Habs Golden Knights. Enjoy the game. Thanks everybody. Appreciate it. Thank Thanks. you.